welcome back. And if you're new to my podcast, welcome. I'm so glad that you're here. If you've been tuned in to my podcast since January 2023, we've been talking this month about goals, intentions, resolutions, and why they may not be working, along with the importance of a vision, understanding why your goal setting may not be working, and why breaking bad habits are so hard. And if you're new to my podcast, I highly encourage you to go back and listen to those episodes as today we're going to be talking about emotion-driven habits. But before we do, please let me introduce myself. Hi there. My name is Dr. Kelly Ray, and I'm a mindset coach, counselor, notably known as the inner critic tamer. And I am passionate about helping others just like you and me who have survived things perhaps we don't necessarily like to talk about, but we know we want to be better for ourselves because it not only impacts our lives, but it impacts those around us. I'm obsessed with teaching others how to tame their inner critic, that inner childhood conditioning, or as I like to say, undo that crap that happened to you, and continues to at times keep you stuck and teach you how to heal from it in order to live the vibrant life you were designed to live. And during this episode, we're going to be talking about emotion-driven habits that can hold us back keep us stuck, and even sabotage our success when we're trying to grow, shift, or improve some qualities of our lives. Have you ever noticed that whenever you're thrown off center by a bad experience or maybe even bad news or something, or when you're really tired or not feeling well, you automatically fall into a default emotion, such as maybe fear, anxiety, despair, anger, sadness or depression. It can be debilitating to try to be creative and productive, let alone thinking positively when your emotions are got kind of a grip on you. There was a time in my life where I'd fallen to despair or depression, which would lead down a dark path of not feeling good about myself. And being truly honest with you, it happened a lot. A lot more than I cared to admit to anyone, let alone myself. What I was not aware of was this automatic response I had to situations that would flip the switch to an emotional habit. Heck, I wasn't even aware of habits or behaviors or even how our primordial minds work. I just knew what I'd feel and experience during these times, which I hated, but didn't know how to deal with them. Again, if truth be told, it had become such a quote-unquote normal way of living that if anyone had suggested that I talk to someone about it, I'd brush it off, I'd brush them off with all the reasons why I was okay. It was just a thing, it was just a phase, not realizing you can get out of a phase. What I was not even consciously aware of was my resistance to shift it or change it, let alone acknowledge it for what it was, my own internal suffering. I mean, let's be honest here. Who really likes to admit or acknowledge they could be the cause of their own depression or anxiety, worry, stress, or even an unhappy life? 
Yes, those who have done the emotional work understand the benefits of this acknowledgement as it allows opportunities to heal and grow. But for those who haven't done the work, it's almost too hard to imagine life any differently than what it already is. In fact, in that state, we do a whole lot of justifying, rationalizing, and even conceding to this is the way life is. And leave it at that. Continuing on the journey that barely gets above a lukewarm. Sure, there's moments of joy, happiness, and even contentment. But they're not long sought after once an experience has become a habitual way of going about the way you live your life. That becomes now normal and quite honestly, comfortable until it becomes uncomfortable again. Most of us were taught that our emotions are to be stuffed, put away, ignored, or maybe even wrong. We weren't taught how to identify what we're truly feeling. And if some did express their feelings, there may have received negative consequences as a result. This in it itself later created certain habits that limit our personal growth. Such habits creep up on us without us being aware of it until we get to a point where nearly everything triggers the same response. Fear grief, or anger. Habits are formed out of seeking pleasure and avoiding pain. This aspect of the mind cannot be changed. However, we can change how we perceive pleasure as internal values and pain as a loss of those values. That's when emotional habits truly begin to change allowing us to form well-rounded personalities in the process. So before I share how you can shift these habits, it's important to share awareness of emotional-driven habits. So often you see a lot of quick bait taglines on, hey, get these quick tips, here's some secrets to do this, or here's these strategies that'll change your life. And well intended, and I have no doubt that many of those quote unquote secrets and strategies and tips and tricks and all of that work. But a lot of times we don't know the backstory. And I think it's important that we understand why we do and say and behave the way we do. If we know more about that, then we have an, uh, an opportunity to take those tools, those strategies, those techniques and actually implement them because they make sense, because we understand more, right? It's like being in school and saying, here, do these math problems, but we're not going to tell you how it works. You just have to figure it out on your own. But sometimes we need to know why. Why are we doing this? Why, why are we memorizing in history a bunch of war dates and stuff? What's the point of all of that? Maybe if they understood, it was, was an opportunity for us to see how patterns are created, not necessarily memorizing war dates, but understanding that everything has a cycle, everything has a pattern. And if we could see those patterns, we could perhaps change them. So I feel like I'm a really big advocate for telling you why we are the way we are, why we do the things we do, 
And then we go at it with, okay, now that I understand that, now we got some tools that we can help, you know, switch, shift, improve upon, whatever you want to call that, we can do that. So let's talk about emotion-driven habits. Human beings are creatures of habit. I'm sure you've all heard that expression before. Often working on an automatic pilot in response to various triggers that we come across throughout the day. And whilst these triggers could include walking past a cafe, smelling tasty treats, or the alert that goes off on your phone when you get a message, they can also come from within our mind, even in the absence of any external prompt. More specifically, these habit triggers can arise from our emotional state. Our emotions are incredible drivers of our behavior, usually without us even realizing it. Throughout the day, Our mind is in a state of continual emotional flux. We have a background mood state which ebbs and flows. This is then interspersed with emotional highs and lows, which are often caused by events which happen to us momentarily. For example, when we receive good or bad news or a text message or something on social media, we have an immediate emotional response to that. And as you might expect from an evolutionary perspective, it is our negative emotions which are especially powerful in driving our behavior. This includes those emotions which are considered to be more basic, such as fear, anxiety, and anger. But equally important are other negative states of mind that we all experience from time to time, perhaps even many times a day. States like boredom, tiredness, loneliness, feeling powerless, indecisive, dissatisfied, confused, inferior, discouraged, or a bit lost. Often when we fall into one of these negative states of mind, your brain tries to come up with the ways to solve them, to bring you back to a more positive baseline. And one trick it has up its sleeve to do is to get you to do something that creates a reward, some pleasurable experience that makes you feel better. I don't know, think back when you'd fall down and get a boo-boo and mom or grandma would kiss it or you got a cookie or whatever. I mean, it started so young. And this is why feeling low can trigger habitual behaviors because your brain knows from experience, it's habit after all, that when you carry out that particular behavior, you get a reward of some kind. Boom! Did you just have a light bulb go off just thinking about that? I know you did. So this concept of a reward doesn't necessarily mean food, money, or something tangible. It can mean many different things. And what is rewarding to one person may different from the next. Less obvious types of reward can be social rewards, such as being thanked 
or complimented by a colleague for something you've done. Feeding your brain with the kind of information that it finds interesting, whether it be a conversation, a book, a magazine, or a website, for example, or even doing something that helps create a sense of personal achievement, like running a personal bass, or lifting the heaviest weight you've ever lifted, or, I don't know, doing that half marathon, whatever it may have been. All of these examples, and there are so many others, provide your brain with a satisfying reward linked to activation of that dopamine system, that feel-good hormone which provides you with that much-needed pick-me-up to help recover your mood, to remove the pain. But because habits are automatically triggered and carry out without much involvement of your frontal thinking lobe, we don't always notice these patterns of behavior, these links between our changing emotional state and our behavioral choices. And while some of these choices are good for our health, well-being, and career success, others are more destructive to us. Well-known examples include people eating more than they should when they're sad, or maybe people gambling when they're bored. But everyone has their equivalent, however big or small. Now, Let's talk about some exercises you could do to change these emotional triggers. I need you to understand, if you are consistent and intentional with these exercises, you can create real lasting change that will improve your self-perspective and improve the quality of your life. Okay, let's go. Number one. Write down reasons why you won't perform these exercises I'm talking about. (laughs) I know that sounds really crazy, right? Your brain is already telling you on some level to skim through this. Yeah, listen to it. Or, you know, maybe you'll even decide to share it with a friend who might need this more than you. But the reality is everyone has some negative emotional habit that they need to change. Also, everyone has excuses that will stop them from bringing any real change to their life. So go on. Write down your list of reasons or excuses or justifications. They're all the same. Pick whichever word you feel is applicable to you, but they are the same. This doesn't just work with emotional habit. It works with any habit you know is sabotaging you but you just can't help yourself from doing it. You already know that the first step is always conscious acknowledgement, being aware. And just in case you're wondering why this works, let me tell you. Our automatic mental excuses or reasons seem so rational, so real, so important until we write them down. That's just how mental inertia works. Habits are always supported by reasons or excuses to keep the wheel spinning. It's only when you poke it with a stick that you realize how resistant to change your mind is. 
You have to upset the balance of this inertia and you do so by attacking the foundation it's built on. So number two, rank the v validity of each excuse. Then take action against the valid ones. As you might imagine, some of the excuses or reasons you wrote down might sound silly. The thing is that there are no silly excuses or reasons. I don't buy half of my excuses and neither should you with yours. Most of the excuses or reasons you wrote down have a reason to be there. Maybe you're too tired because you didn't get any sleep last night. Okay, fair enough. Maybe you don't have time. That might also be true. Systematically dismissing all excuses in order to change a mental emotional habit doesn't really work. The brain will just find a way to come up with new ones. Before long, you are caught up in a circle of inventing excuses and reasons and dismissing them all. A better method would be to rank the validity of those excuses relative to each one. The bottom line ones will just fall off naturally. With the top ones, write down what you need to do to convert those excuses into actions. For example, not enough time. What do you need to do to make more time? Too tired from doing other important things first. What's more important than your inner peace and your self-confidence and your emotional wellness? So why does this step work? By converting your excuses into action, you are reversing the momentum of the inertia. It's the motion to act despite mental inertia that creates positive mental habits to counteract the bad ones. Number three, visualize a place where you have higher regards for yourself. Imagine a place where you go to mentally that is free of judgment from yourself and from the world. Now I want you to note, how do you feel when you're in this place? What would it be like if you had the same feeling in the world where people are constantly stressed out and out of sync with reality? Do you feel calm? Do you feel confident? As author Dan Gilbert pointed out in his book, Stumbling on Happiness, Facts and reality have a way of prioritizing over imagination in your brain. It's a coping mechanism so that we don't get lost in dreamland and endanger our lives. However, this doesn't mean that you can't visualize yourself being completely calm and confident and slowly work towards becoming this person every day. Eventually, no matter how many cold buckets of reality hits you with, this calmness and serenity will be with you in the face of the greatest emotional turmoils. This is if you consistently, intentionally do this. So I'll tell you, why does this work? 
According to research, using brain imagery visualization works because neurons in our brains, those electrical excitable cells that transmit information, interpret imagery as equivalent to a real-life action. When we visualize an act, the brain generates an impulse that tells our neurons to perform the movement. Number four, sentence completion exercise. Sentence completion is when you start out with a particular sentence and write out a few endings at a time. So one example would be to start out with, if I acted with 5% more assertive, assertiveness today, then you would write down six or 10 endings, like I would voice my opinion when I feel it is needed, or I will tell her or him how I feel more often, or I would say no to the things that I really didn't want to do, or hang out or take on one more assignment. Bar none, this is extremely beneficial because it offers options and supports the outcome. This will work in any particular arena of your life or it will just raise your self-esteem in general. So why does this work? According to Dr. Nathaniel Brandon, we all have subconscious parts of our mind that are constantly striving to grow and become more self-confident. Sentence completion activates these parts of your mind and gently nudge them into the direction of a positive mental habits. This way, there is no rationalization or no resistance. Number five. Routinely perform irrational emotional self-checks. It's helpful, or at least it was for me, to know that we do have irrational beliefs that lead to bad emotional habits. Understanding that we create the habits that we do, both good and bad. But to know that, you know, Everyone has an irrational thought or feeling at some point in time. And it's something that we have to learn to, to manage, something we have to learn to respond to. Maybe not necessarily respond to, but to, to look a little further to see what does it really mean. Remember, the key step is awareness and knowing we have these irrational beliefs is crucial. And step two would be to catch them when they surface. This takes an amazing amount of self-awareness and perhaps some pain. But I can tell you it is so worth it. And I know that sounds really crazy, but there's something about recognizing when we're doing the thing that's been causing us the problem and being able to be aware of it before we actually do the thing that causes the problem. That is powerful. When you're able to stop yourself from acting on that impulse, those impulses start to lose power over you. This is how you start to reassume control over your life instead of running from one urge to another. 
When you have a strong urge to do something, ask yourself if this urge comes from an irrational impulse or if it's based on your true calling. An easy way to tell is by asking yourself if you're doing this out of a negative or positive emotional space. Are you doing it out of fear or anger or out of love and altruism? Are you doing it out of false sense of judgment or out of a need to collaborate? So why does this work? Catching yourself exhibiting irrational behaviors is the first step to self-awareness. Then you can work towards minimizing their emergence and their impact they have on your life. Number six, regularly see the consequences of your bad emotional habits. I recently found this article that was really fascinating and the part that really captured my attention said there was a, a, a phrase in there that was just like, wow, that's pretty awesome. Perhaps the only way to get rid of your bad mental habit is to see their ultimate consequences. Okay, we just need a mic drop right here right now. Think about that for a second. If, if To get rid of it is that we'd see ultimately what the result of it would be if we took action towards it. Most of the time we just act on our habits and behaviors and feelings from that emotional state and then later say, oh crap, I wish I hadn't done that. But imagine if we could just stop first before doing it and see, hmm, what would the potential outcome be if I follow through with smacking this person in the head because they're really irritating me right now. You get what I mean here. Your unconscious brain does two things extremely well. It seeks pleasure and avoids pain. And as long as your emotional habit is tied to pleasure, you will perform it. When you tie it to a particular painful experience, you will avoid it like a plague. If an alcoholic, for example, wants to stop drinking, he can't simply abstain from drinking altogether. This will only intensify his craving. He stops drinking when he comes face to face with the damage it causes to him when he loses control. Seeing his life in shambles can be a strong motivator for quitting. So why does this work? Bad emotional habits, such as addiction, become habits when we once needed them in order to numb some painful experience. It's also something we run to when things don't go well in reality. To kick these habits once and for all, we have to come face to face with the low self-esteem they cause us. Then, and only then, the resolve to change becomes more powerful. Number seven, make yourself visible by seeing yourself in third person. It's too easy to lose yourself in this new information age. You're constantly bombarded with new ideas about who you're supposed to be and what you're supposed to do. You know, top 10 places to visit before you die or how to become even more successful, etc. Here's the latest, you know, health and fitness thing that's going to do it all for you. Buried underneath this mountain of information is the real you. 
who is striving to grow and has all the necessary tools to do so. Sometimes we pick up tools that we don't even know how to use because maybe we're seeing other people use them or maybe we think if it worked for someone else, it might work for us, but there might be more behind the scenes than that. You simply have to become an observer of your reality. A few times a day, practice looking at yourself in third person. Act as if another person in your world who is very important You'll truly realize what you need to do to actually make this person get the most out of the world. Wouldn't you do that for your kids? Wouldn't you do that for your partner? Wouldn't you do that for your best friend or your parent that you care so much about? A quick and easy way to do this is by setting reminders to yourself throughout the day. It allows you to snap out of whatever information trance you're being caught in and giving you an opportunity to look how this is really impacting you in that third person state. So why does this work? Throughout the struggle of life, the end goal is to actually be more visible to either what we perceive as value or what others perceive as value. We travel to exotic locations to post pictures about it or to show our friends. We do this because we think that they value travel, relaxation, and beautiful sights just like us. The conundrum is that when we seek to be visible to others, we become less visible to ourselves. This exercise makes us realize that if we were already visible to ourselves, by living out our values every day and every moment, there's no longer a need to be visible to others. More importantly, will start experiencing healthier connections along the way. Number eight, practice asking yourself, what if I'm wrong? Just like many others, I'm full of ideas and thoughts about what the world should be like and how it should fit. For instance, the world should be more open and friendly so it's easier for me to be myself. That's a great idea, right? Of course, anybody can tell me that this is the wrong notion, that this is, I'm crazy, crazy thinking there. I ought to learn to project myself even more when it seems dangerous and embarrassing to do so. But no one can hear my inner voice except for myself. Just like nobody can hear your inner voice except for you. A strategy that has been beneficial to many is using a filter called, what if I'm wrong? Putting your thoughts through this filter helps to identify bad emotional habits. Most of the time, you are neither right nor wrong. Most thoughts are subjective. The benefit of training yourself to maintain this internal filter is that you're able to tip the subjective scale to your side. If you start to have self-admonishing thoughts, you can put the brakes on them and turn them into positive thoughts. If you are driven by some emotion to react negatively to some matter, this becomes your cognitive reassessment ability to change your perspective on the fly. Such Such power cannot be understated. So why does this work? You will realize that it's okay to be wrong. 
Being wrong has nothing to do with your self-confidence. Being able to correct yourself is instrumental in being connected to reality. The mark of a highly confident individual is not that they are secure inside their box of beliefs, but that they can escape from this box comfortably. Number nine, if you're stuck in an emotional rut, change your environment and your physical state. Like most people, you will find yourself in an emotional rut at times. An emotional rut is characterized by having a thought or an emotion that you just can't seem to shake. It inhabits your every thought, and if you try to think positively, it ends up making it worse. The larger issue might not be a mental state, but a physical state that you are in. See, the body has a specific way of letting you know it needs to move and create new experiences. When this happens, don't even try to fight it mentally. Just attempt to change your physical environment by going outside and going for a walk if it's possible or dancing around your room, something. One of my mentors, Joseph McClintock, uh, coined phrase something called, you have to have a good attitude. And an attitude is basically you get up and shake your butt. And it's so funny, but science has there's science that's been done that just the shaking of that shifts the physiology of your body. And it's hard to be mad or sad or depressed when you're doing that. And if you don't believe me, then get up and shake your bum right now and tell me if you can still be in that state. I promise you, you can't. There's something about that movement and specifically moving the body that kind of gets the juice is flowing again. I find that simply leaving my place to go somewhere else for a different ambiance, maybe it's a coffee shop, maybe it's a park, maybe it's going to the gym, whatever, changes my mood pretty much instantaneously. My excitement or lust for life starts to fill my body and my mind once again. So why does this work? No matter how immediate and strong an emotion seems, it is always temporary. We forget this so often, especially when it's very powerful. It's the habits behind these emotions that keep them coming back, making them seem so important. The simple counterbalance act that you can perform is simply to put yourself in another place physically. Your brain receives two messages when you do this. First, that you are capable of taking action in spite of emotions. And second, that your perspective can always change. You condition your subconscious or unconscious brain. They're the same, subconscious, unconscious, interchangeable. Not to stay in one mental state and suffer but to take initiative, no matter how small, and change. Number 10, feed your sense of purpose. Purpose is the ultimate form of internal emotional manipulation. My purpose is to help others to improve the quality of their lives. And whenever I feel anxious or sad or bored or bummed or upset and frustrated, I remind myself 
of what brings me fulfilling joy, and that's being of service. It also reminds me that the world is bigger and more fulfilling than remaining stuck or stagnant in one of those negative emotions. Don't get me wrong, our negative emotions can definitely serve a purpose in teaching us something we need to shift or alter in our lives. But beyond that, remaining in them can keep us from living our own vibrant lives. The problem is that most of us don't feel our sense of purpose habitually enough. We either do it only when we really need to or only when we force ourselves to. That way, the brain perceives this as a painful act instead of a pleasurable one. We become emotionally starved of the one thing that can save us in the long run. Make it a habit to do something throughout the day that gives you deep fulfillment. This deep fulfillment is your sense of purpose and it needs your attention to grow. So it might seem obvious, but why does this work? Each of us has a unique set of values that we strive to adhere to. This drives us to live purposefully and truthfully. However, lacking the capacity to develop and realize these values, we seek it in others. We do this unconsciously through the emotional dependent habits that we learned as children. We manipulate and get manipulated by others instead of focusing on changing our own habits and eventually becoming self-reliant. Unlike being emotionally dependent, which is simply a set of habits, emotional independent people need intent behind these habits. They need to know that what they do, no matter how boring, painful, or difficult in the short term, has a long-term value realization goal behind it. This goal is a sense of purpose. So let's begin to wrap this up. Bad emotional habits are a cry from our inner child, or as I've also coined it, our inner critic, that seeks to mature and make peace with the absurdity of the world around us. We don't need to be too harsh with this child or critic. In fact, they speak a very specific language that is so often misinterpreted, thus causing us to remain stuck in these unhealthy emotional habits. I realize I share a tremendous amount of information with you during this episode, and in fact, it may make quite a bit of sense, but Implementing some of it may be something you need some assistance with. If that's something you'd be interested in, I'm going to encourage you to get in touch with me. I'm going to share ways that you can do that. And if you found this helpful or know someone who could use a little extra support along the way, I'm going to encourage you to share this episode and this podcast along with following it yourself because then you get notified every time there's a new episode that's been released. And again, if you would like to get in touch with me or connect with me, then I'm going to share how to do that. I'm on Instagram at Ask Dr. Kelly Ray. Kelly Ray is spelled K-E-L-L-Y-R-A-E. 
I'm on Facebook at Dr. Kelly Ray B. B is in Brown. I'm on TikTok at Dr. Kelly Ray. My website is drkellyray.com. And my email is drkellyray at gmail.com. Until next week, please know I send you so much love.